I am looking at the sixth church to, um, no, sixth letter to the church um, that's in the book of Revelation. So we've had um, talks from Tom and Don and Adam, um, and I'd really recommend going back and listening to them because there's such nuggets of gold in each of those talks. Um, we're still waiting for John's on the uh, letter to Smyrna. He's really keeping us in suspense. It must be a really brilliant letter. Um, and obviously Tom was ill last time, so he, he clearly just wanted to jump on as well. Um, so I'm looking at the uh, letter to Philadelphia. I'm going to be honest, every time I read it, I start rapping about West Philadelphia in my head. And I'm going to try and keep that under control, so I'm sorry about that. Um, we're not talking about Philadelphia in America. This one is in modern-day Turkey, um, and it's a similar story to the churches that we've kind of already looked at. It's, it's in an area that's full of pagan worship. So Philadelphia was actually called Little Athens because it had lots of little temples and lots of places that people could go and worship their pagan gods. And like the other churches that we've looked at, it was under Roman rule, so the church was really persecuted. There were people who were tortured and murdered and cast out. And so, again, it's that really challenging time period and Jesus is writing to this church. And there's a couple of things Tom said in the first one. It was so long ago that I felt like it would be good to repeat them. Um, the first one is that these letters were physically received by the churches. Um, they were written by the Apostle John, but it was Jesus speaking to John who wrote them down and sent them out. And it's about 30 to 40 years after Jesus' death. And I think sometimes we forget that they didn't have like what we now have as the Bible. What they had was the Hebrew Bible, so the Old Testament, but mainly what they had was traveling apostles and traveling teachers, and then these letters that the apostles sent. All of the stuff was already written, and it was floating around, but they didn't have this one thing that they could refer back to like we do. And so, it, you know, this letter would have been gold dust for them because, it's, you know, it's a real word. It's something that's come to us. It's speaking to us, and it's so important. Um, and each letter was written addressing a local issue. So there's a specific issue that this church is having that Jesus wants to say. But, as we've seen with all the others, it's an issue that ripples through the last 2,000 years of church history. So it is still relevant for us today. So, we'll read it. What does Jesus actually say to the church in Philadelphia? Um, and then I'll try and unpack it as best I can. So it's Revelation 3, 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <laughs> when Tom asked me to do this talk, he said, you're doing the Church of Philadelphia, it's a really nice one. And then you've got this massive line about the synagogue of Satan. So that was really fun for me. <laughs> 
But one of the things I found really interesting is that of the seven letters to the churches, two of them do not include a rebuke. So where Jesus says, this I hold against you. And this is that church, this is one of them. The church in Philadelphia doesn't have a, this I hold against you, this is the thing you're doing wrong. And so this is just purely a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of keep going. So it is a nice one to do, even though it has that synagogue of Satan. (laughs) And there are a few things in this letter which I think we can kind of take away. And the first one is that, that bit of reassurance that Jesus offers at the beginning, where it says, I have placed an open door before you. Now, the open door in the key of David is referring to a verse in Isaiah. So it's Isaiah 22, 22, where it says, I will place on his, that's Jesus, place on his shoulders the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. It's a specific quote. And what it's saying is that Jesus has been given the keys to the household of God. Jesus has been put in charge of the kingdom. And the thing about this church in Philadelphia, it was in quite a Jewish community, and the Jews in that community were turning around to these people and saying, when God comes again, when he brings his kingdom, the door's going to be shut in your face. You are not going to be welcome. They really believed that these Christians were going to be locked out, were going to be cast out because they were betraying God. So to have Jesus here saying, no, I hold the keys, and that door is open for you, I just feel like it's such a just, oh, right, okay, sigh of relief, we're good. <laughs> um, Jesus is the steward of the kingdom, and again, this is calling back to in John 10, um, Jesus says, I am the door. You know, it, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door to the kingdom. And all who believe in Jesus will enter the kingdom through him because he's opened that door. And just, just think about the power of that statement. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Whatever Jesus opens, no man, no spiritual authority, nothing can close it because Jesus has opened it. And whatever Jesus shuts, nothing can open it again. That is Jesus' ultimate power and authority. He opens the door and he closes the door. (laughs) And I just, one of the things that really struck me is that sometimes I think we think we can close the door. Sometimes we think, you know, I have done something that God is just going to slam that shut in my face. And again, I think that's that encouragement of, I have placed an open door before you that no one can shut. So that's the first part. That open door is open to anybody who believes, and that is such an incredible encouragement. So be encouraged. The second bit, you're not going to like as much. The second bit, I think it's an encouragement to this church, but I feel like it's a challenge to us. And it says, I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And again, Jesus is saying to this church in Philadelphia, I see you, I see you're tired, I see that you're fighting, but I also see your faithfulness, I see your perseverance. This is a well done, good and faithful servant moment. This is, you know, don't give up. I see you and you're doing great. But this is a challenge for us. You know, there's a wonderful charity called Open Doors that supports Christians who are persecuted around the world. And it is very easy for us, sitting here in our privilege, to think Christians have it easy. 
And we need to remember, first of all, that there are people around the world that are still persecuted and tortured and killed for their faith. And that is what the early church were experiencing at this time. This is the whole book of Acts, is Jesus' disciples being stoned to death and killed because of their faith. There's a story on Open Doors' website of a lady named Fatima, and she lived in a Muslim country, and she became a Christian as a teenager and started blogging anonymously. And when her family found out, one of the last blog posts she wrote was, the Messiah says, blessed are the persecuted, and by God, I am unto death a Christian. And then not long after that, she was burned on her face, had her tongue cut out, and was killed. That is a reality. And that was the reality of this church. And what Fatima talks about in this is referring to Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are not persecuted. We might have people who think we're weird. We might lose friends. I've certainly lost some friends for my faith. But we can sit here with flags outside of our building saying, come into our church. We can walk up to strangers on the street and say, can I pray for you? Again, they'll think we're weird, but we can do that. We're not going to get murdered for it. And I'm not saying we don't have battles. I'm not saying there aren't things going on. But we have the privilege of being able to keep God's word and not deny his name. And how many of us shy away from that? I am not in following this. But how many of us, when we're asked, what did you do at the weekend? Go, yeah, I went to church twice and we had a really great time of worship. And then, you know, Tom spoke and he he really struck a nerve. Or how many of us go, yeah, it was good. How many of us, when people ask, what type of music do you listen to? Go, oh yeah, I listen to worship worship music. Some of us, a couple of weeks ago, went to um, the Quayside to pray. um, Just pray for the city. And I guarantee that a lot of people walking past on their morning commute or cycling by were looking and going, what are they doing? Um, standing in a circle, all praying out loud. And, you know, what's, what's the worst they're going to do? Call us weird. Give us a bit of a funny look. I also work for a Christian charity, and again, I know that's a place of privilege to be able to do that. And we help people um, with convictions get into work. And some, one day somebody rang up and said, you know, I want... I want your- I want to work with you. And it's because they'd been out doing their community service hours and somebody had said, oh, you should speak to these guys, they're really helpful, if you don't mind that Christian sort. I don't mind being known as that Christian sort. That's the worst that anyone's going to say about me. John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement, said he once saw somebody wearing a sign that said, I'm a fool for Christ, whose fool are you? Is that the worst someone's going to say about me? I'm a fool. I don't want you to think that I have this down. You know, one of my biggest failings, and I know it is, is that often I'll be walking around and I feel God prompt me to give something to somebody or pray for somebody or do something. And I'll be honest, there are times where I'll be walking past somebody and I'll feel it, and then I'll walk around the block. Rather than just turning around and going back, I'll walk around the block, half hoping they're not there when I go back. They always are. But... You know, there are times where I feel prompted and I go, oh, they're going to think I'm weird. (laughs) Um, Is that the worst I can expect? Surely the point is that I have the privilege of keeping his word and not denying his name. But again, that comfort comes in. That door is still open. Even if I ignore every single prompt that God gives me, door's still open.
There's a third thing. I've got four things, so this is third, that I think we can take away from this letter. And it's about the victory that Jesus is giving us glimpse to. As I said, we are all fighting a battle. Okay, we're not going to get murdered in, in the streets for our faith, but we are all fighting something. And the great encouragement that we can read in this is that Jesus is saying, he will win this battle. Jesus is saying, I will make those who are part of the synagogue of Satan. I will make them come down and bow at your feet. I will make them acknowledge that I have loved you. I will keep you from the hour of trial. Jesus is the one who is the accuser. Jesus is the one who makes the accuse, those who he accuses bow down at his feet. Jesus is the one who will protect people and love people and fight for people. We partner with him, we join in that battle, we worship and we pray and we do his work, but he will do the victory. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. There is a spiritual battle, and Jesus is the one who is fighting it. Jesus is the one who is victorious. 1 Corinthians 15.57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. It is his aroma, it is his victory, it is his battle and we get to be part of it. And that is the encouragement. I don't have to win this because I'm not going to, I'm going to be honest with you. I am not good enough to win this battle. He will win this battle. I was just checking I was up with my final point. <laughs> the second bit of the letter is about what Jesus is promising to those who stay the course in battle. I am coming soon. You know, we in the vineyard believe in the now and the not yet of kingdom. And Jesus always said, you know, I am coming soon. And he said that, you know, 2,000 years ago. Soon is relative in the lifespan of God. But I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Jesus has won the victory, even though there is still sin and death and pain in the world. But Jesus is coming to finish that victory, to defeat once and for all everything that is wrong with this world. And those who share in that victory, those that partner with him as best as we can, get to share in that victory. And we get to be pillars in God's temple. And a pillar is a permanent fixture, a solid fixture in the kingdom. We get to be made pillars in God's temple. And they will be known as one of God's people. I don't know about you, I want to be known as one of God's people. And God will know them. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will get a new name, one of glory and of victory. There's a quote that I share often with my daughter, and it is for you men as well, even though it says <laughs> daughter, but it says, whenever you feel overwhelmed, remember whose child you are and straighten your crown. Jesus says, hold on 
so that no one can take your crown. When we're struggling and when things are tough and when everything's just getting too much, remember who you are. You are a child of the king. You are crowned in victory. Remember who calls you his beloved child. Remember who has opened that door for you and will never shut it.